Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast and welcome back to our Right Side Up community. We are doing a video drop and an audio drop because this podcast can be so helpful. Every leader experiences disorientation. It's just part of the journey. In fact, it's something that I look for in someone that I'm going to coach. Are they feeling disoriented? by either success or failure, by lacking something or having a lot of resources, by not knowing what to do next or having way too many options, whatever gets you there, gets you to this space of disorientation that actually can be a beautiful outcome, even though it can be very painful and very hard in the process. Today's interview, I sit with a coaching client of mine who has become a friend, Mark Johnston. Mark is the pastor of a church called The Journey Church in Delaware. Mark is a brilliant strategist. I mean, one of the most brilliant strategists that I've sat with and had the opportunity to coach as we process through his story, where God is taking him, and he gets to help leaders process through their systems in their own church, what are their next steps, and what may they not be seeing. Mark is one of those guys, he's been in the trenches, he is four leaders, and yet he's also leading in a church himself. Now, this episode is specifically aimed at pastors. You'll get a lot out of it if you're just listening to disorientation along the way. You'll hear those pieces in his story, but I think it's particularly helpful for pastors. Secondly, if you are looking for a network or a group of people that you can sit with other pastors in a space and specifically talk about church issues of strategy, clarity, vision, how to get to where you're going, I would highly encourage you to connect with Mark. You can shoot us an email at hello at stayforth.com, and Mark is taking inquiries to be able to invest in church leaders across the country. If that's you, you want to get into a cohort of other church leaders, I highly recommend Mark and what he brings. Enjoy my conversation with my friend, with pastor, and with a really sharp leader, Mark Johnston. My man, Mark Johnston, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Man, it's fun. We've seen each other quite a bit on Zoom, and uh, there are some things you've kind of brushed over uh, just a little bit that I just want to dive into. So personally, I'm curious, uh, Mark, and also I know that that translates to a lot of other leaders, and it's been fun to kind of be curious together with you. So I'm excited to dive in there. First of all, man, give me a little bit of intro to you and, and your family and a little bit of your leadership journey. Yeah, absolutely. So honored to be here. This this relationship's been so life giving for me, Alan, and I'm I'm grateful to have an opportunity to kind of talk a little bit about the journey and the process. Uh, so I was I grew up in a home where my mom went to church and my dad didn't, and uh, so didn't really see kind of faith lived out um, in my dad's life. And when I was 15, had this had this sort of radical experience with Jesus where. I felt like, you know, my whole life kind of got turned upside down by him. And the next year felt called to preach. I didn't really know what that meant. Didn't come from a ministry family and nobody around me uh, affirmed that call at the time, (laughs) except my mom. Everybody else was like, you should probably try to finish high school without getting in trouble. Um, That was, that was kind of the, the sentiment, but from there ended up going to a Bible college and uh, traveling for a few years, full time, went into the marketplace, worked for DuPont and uh, kind of fell into, started really low and, and fell into this 
place of, of climbing the ladder pretty quickly there. got involved in some um, marketplace stuff and then felt led to start a church, which was almost like feeling called when I was 16. Uh, people around me weren't so sure it was the best idea, but <laughs> uh, some wife Susie and I started a church. Um, the journey will be 15 years old this year. And we uh, always tell people we were a parachute church plant, except that after we jumped, we realized we weren't wearing one. So we were kind of a church splat, um, <laughs> no money, no, no plan. Um, but God was really gracious. And after some, some rough first few years, we started to, to find our sea legs and gain some momentum. And um, it's been a really cool ride. Naming is a lot of the work that we do and get to do during coaching. Yeah. And I found that there are very few around us who, um, who take that liberty or that opportunity to help us name things. And it's a really unique niche. And so I thought today we would really name this one word disorienting uh, mm -hmm. along the way. We're oriented for success, right? Up and to the right. We sort of have these cultural promises. Um, this plus this plus this equals blank, right? And when it doesn't go that way, we experience disorientation, sometimes success, sometimes failure, sometimes um, something in between, uh, or some of both at the same time. So I'd love to kind of explore those different timelines of disorientation and, and what it was. So take us back first to that church planting phase. Yeah. Um, what was disorienting in that phase? Yeah, I mean, I think as I, as I hear you articulate that, I think that in the early part of my leadership journey, failure was actually less disorienting than success. Um, you know, I didn't, I really didn't have a ton of confidence starting out. So failure was like, Oh, this feels right. <laughs> this is yeah. not supposed to work. You know? sure. um, and I think I had to really go through this process of, of realizing that, that God wanted more for us. And when we started growing, I would actually say, now I never would have said this leading up to that. I would have said, Oh, this is hard. I wish it would work better. I wish we would grow. I wish all my dreams would come true. But it was actually when we started growing that I became the, the most disoriented because now all of a sudden, like the church was growing so quickly. And I realized I wasn't as ready for that as I thought I was. I wasn't as spiritually ready for that. I wasn't as mentally or emotionally ready for that as I thought it was. I didn't have the skills as a leader that, you know, when you have something that's working really kind of slowly or it's not really taking off, you just, you sort of go, oh, well, you know, I'm really a better leader than this maybe, but it's just taking time. And right. then when it starts to grow, you go, oh no, actually I'm not, I'm not <laughs> that great leader at all. And this growth is actually more challenging than the absence of it was. So that's kind of an interesting, yeah. and I'm sure there's stuff in your, like scarcity mentality in those early years, but the success was more disorienting than the failure. Totally what I've experienced many, many times. And Interesting, Mark, and this is not a coaching intensive. We need to be careful about that. This is this is an interview about your life, but I think it's to name that success is generally more disorienting than failure. Whether it's I got it and then what now? What's next? I've always been aiming at the next thing. And I talked to a leader the other day. Um, my wildest dreams in five years we've accomplished in three. What now? Right. And I said, how disorienting is that for you? And he said, very. And, and a great our conversation ensued. So it's interesting that you would say that. And I wonder too, if, well, I expected this and then much more than that has come, what got you here isn't going to get you there. 
And suddenly I actually have to learn a new operating system. And we know how challenging that was the first time we moved over from, you know, working on Microsoft to this crazy Mac that we swear we'll never use. And then two months later, I'll never move back to that. So it's almost that, that, you know, learning of a new operating system. Take me to the next kind of disorienting season in your leadership journey. Yeah, I think, I think there's a theme that continues there because thinking about it, failure gives you an edge, right? Um, like it or hate it, it gives you this edge. It gives you this built-in reason to try again. Success really seeks to take your edge away. Um, so there's a sense in which as we continue to grow as a church, um, I got into this next season, I would say, of disorientation a few years ago when I just worked all the time. And I and this is a very classic story, right? You know, the kind of burnout, the signs of burnout started to happen. We had um, a crisis with a staff member, um, a significant moral situation, and I was not at a place where I was healthy enough to navigate it as well as I could have. From the outside looking in, this is kind of the temptation too, or the danger. From the outside looking in, I, I handled it like a champ. But inwardly, I was very disoriented because I was... And the way I see it now, I had I had stopped loving the work for the sake of the work itself. Mm. And I'd started loving the results of the work. That's one of the dangers of success is you begin to become addicted to the results of your work. When I, when I got called into this, I had no promise of any results. Right. God did not say to me, if you will do this thing, I mean, it will just be spectacular. He just said, do this thing. I have a little bit of question about anybody's call that has eight promises attached to it that are very specific. You know, most yep. of yep. Peter, James, and John, it's like, come follow me. Well, what happens after that? We'll figure it out. Um, you know, it'll get messy, but we'll do it. And so I think for me, I got to this place where we had grown a lot and without realizing it, Alan, I became addicted to results. And so when things threaten my results, I got a little bit seven-year-old-ish, like in my spirit. I got a little bit entitled, like, oh, this isn't, no, no, no. That was for the early years, the pain and the failure. Now we're here. We've come this far. Why is this happening to me? And I actually had to go through a season of letting go of the results and falling back in love with the work itself, which ultimately is a call to fall back in love with the person who called me to that work himself. And so I think very disorienting that season when I was like, no, 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 I already went, I already learned my lessons. Now I know one plus one equals two. That's the success formula. Wait a minute. Why isn't it working the way that it always has? And uh, so I think that was a, that was the next phase of disorientation for me was falling in love with the result and needing to be lovingly corrected and brought back to do this just because doing this is good and right. Mm. And, you know, the result, I'm very results oriented, but letting go of those and trusting God in that process, I think brought me through that next season of disorientation, which was about five or six years ago. And I'm curious, Mark, how did you lead differently? How did you relate to the process differently than you had a few years before that? You know, it's so crazy. When you ask that question again, from the outside looking in, there weren't that many changes, which I think is probably I know it's healthy now. At the time, I wondered if there should be more dramatic outward changes, but I realized over time, no one wants to follow a leader who goes away for a few weeks and comes back completely different. (laughs) Like, 
That's actually too disorienting. Conference, please stop going to conferences. Right. Always I've, come back with church. You know, we're doing, we're doing it totally differently. No. And be aware that in six months I might have another miniature personal revolution. So <laughs> I realized that I was not changing outwardly a lot, but the motivation had gone through a significant transformation because okay. I had been using good leadership skills just with a with an increasingly poor and deteriorating motivation. Okay, so I, I got to dive in. How did yeah. that feel different? Even though you might have been some of the same practices, maybe even some of the same results, but how did that feel different in the process? Oh, it felt so freeing. Like it felt like, it felt like redemption. When you get, when you think about the biblical concept of redemption, and you think about even the people of Israel, they're slaves, they're redeemed from the land of Egypt. They look exactly the same. They don't look any different on the outside, but they have been completely transformed internally. And what's their big struggle? Trying to recognize we're free now, you know? And so it felt very freeing to me. And it took a couple of years. I would encourage anybody out there who's maybe going through this process of disorientation and, and recalibrating what's going on on the inside of them that it took a few years before people close to me started going, hey, I didn't want to say this right away, <laughs> but you're different. Mm. Like you're, you're much more settled. You're much more at peace. You seem much more secure. You know, so I think um, it, was, it was so freeing to have gone through this process of realizing, okay, I'm an addict. I'm addicted to results. I've got to reach rock bottom with that. I've got to let go of my life as I know it to a higher power, you know, and give control of those results back to God. And then to come, what a gift. Some people don't get to come back and do what they used to do. And I recognize that there are some people who, you know, it goes so far. It could have been me by the grace, but by, but for the grace of God, but they go so far they don't get a chance. I got a chance to come back and do what I did before. That's a gift. I'm grateful for it every day. And now I get to do it with transformed motivations. Um, so that disorientation led to a place of freedom, which I think it often does. It's just hell in the hallway, right? Mm -hmm. um, so in the in-between, it was painful, um, but it got me somewhere so good. Mm, that's good. I use the phrase a lot from my favorite book I read to my kids. We're going on a bear hunt. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You got to go through it. And that is how God challenges and refines us. But you know what's helpful about this conversation, Mark, is you're describing the refinement. Everybody can say, I got knocked to the ground. I hit rock bottom. And I hear that a lot. But it's like, let's dig in. What did that actually feel like without you having to be a story that landed in the local yeah. papers? And again, God has been so kind to you in the process I really look for leaders at the edge of disorientation. You know this, is that's one of the you know, leaders that I'm called to are, are making a large shift. And there's a hunger there to name some things um, and to not just be disoriented, but from that to reorient to a new way of life. When we met, uh, Mark, what was some of the disorientation um, you're feeling, you were feeling that ultimately has led you into some of the things we'll talk about later? Yeah. Yeah, so our our meeting, Alan, was so, for me, the timing of it was so fitting because I was, a year before we met, I had come to this place, another kind of crossroads that was, you know, very disorienting, where it was like, okay, I started a church, 
I'm a church planner. It was, we didn't do it very well. It wasn't very clean, but now here we are. And, you know, this was 10 months into COVID. It was like, okay, COVID didn't kill it. It's going to be all right with or without me. Like it's clear, whatever form it takes is going to go on. Um, it's going to be okay. What now? So it's kind of that, that thing yeah. you described earlier. Like what's my next move here? Um, is it to stay? I'm not a church planner anymore. It, that, that, ship has sailed. So what am I now? And is it here? Is it somewhere else? And that caught me off guard because I wasn't in a place of like, I don't like this or I'm burned out or it's, it really caught me off guard. And I had this moment where I re-upped. I was like, okay. And I felt like God gave me that conscious ability, that decision to make, to re-up and keep doing this, keep leading the local church. But I also sensed a shift where I felt like God began to plant some seeds in me about this next season for you is not about you. And it's not even just about the thing you're leading. It's about something bigger in scope than that. Not bigger in grandeur, but bigger in scope in the sense that it has more of a contribution than you're used to. And one year later met you. And by that point, God was really messing with me about coming alongside other lead pastors, coaching them, leading them, loving them, encouraging them, being in their corner, helping them strategically think through some of the shifts that I've been through, especially those lead pastors that have not had the benefit maybe of being in an environment where they've received all that equipping and coaching and are trying to figure it out like I was. And I think that season, um, that year in between when I felt like God started to plant those seeds and meeting you, um, really set me up to now move into to what I'm doing now, which is fully leaning into that calling that I sense that we'll we'll talk a little bit about today. Just coaching, doing something outside the scope of what I've spent the last 15 years pouring my life into. Yeah, and man, I I definitely want to explore that because so many times I think the lie is that to do something like I get to do, which is you know to develop leaders, you have to leave the thing you're already doing. And I want to just name that lie. Uh, for me, it would have actually been much easier if I could have just carved out a few more hours a week. That's my unique story. Descriptive, certainly not prescriptive. And there you, a couple other leaders that we've talked about who are actually leading well and faithfully and also from that place, um, blessed also by their church, are able to have this you know expansive reach across the country. So Mark, I love love, love what you're doing. Tell us a little bit about what that looks like in the course of a year. Yeah. So it started with a, uh, just a round table environment for lead pastors. And then we, um, I had done that for, uh, the past three falls and this past one, we brought in their spouses. So we had, uh, 20 lead pastors and their spouses, Susie, my wife and I just spend two days with those couples. And it's really, uh, it's a little bit of a baptism by fire in the sense of like, it's strategy, it's coaching, it's, you know, here's how to do leadership development. And then it's, you know, we're going to an ax throwing place and we're going to escape rooms and we're, and so it's camaraderie and connection building. And then it's, we're going to have spiritual moments. It's, it is really like a, a ton hap. It's a sensory on purpose. It's one step shy of sensory overload in those 36 hours and when we did it the first year, I was very adamant because this predates kind of me becoming aware this was something God wanted me to do. And it was a very reluctant obedience at first. And I was very adamant, like, welcome to the first only round two. <laughs> the first annual is the first only. Like I literally told the guys, 
I hope this was fun. If we never do it again, I'm totally cool. The only way we would do it, we would do it again is if you reached out and asked for it. And overwhelmingly, they came back and said, would you please do it again? So I did it the second fall. And we started hearing back from some of these pastors just going in, this is the most important environment I'm in. Like this combination of strategy, encouragement, connection, and spiritual moments is unlike anything else I've been able to find. And so from there, um, I felt this nudge to go a step further and start a coaching cohort. So I've got 12 lead pastors who have agreed to kind of lean in another level. And over a three-month period, every other week, I'm meeting with them via Zoom for 90 minutes. And we're talking about how to, how to build your church so that your theology, your methodology, and your systemology, if that's even a word, all connect and align out so that your church can grow. So it's very strategic. It's very, I know my lane. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a kumbaya guy. Like I'm, if we're not within 10 minutes, if we're not talking about a strategic plan, I get antsy. (laughs) So I, I was very clear with those guys. This is what this is. And I couldn't believe it, Alan. I mean, I thought if I could get four or five, you know, I'm doing good. And to have 12 guys, we even had to close it. Um, man, I'm so fulfilled by it. And I, you can even sense in my voice right now, like I just, Mm -hmm the level at which I am amped up about this experience and, and God's given me a supernatural love for these pastors. I think about them all the time. I pray for them. I'm this, you know, I told them week one, don't tell anybody on my team, but I skipped all my other work to focus on you. Like it just, Mm -hmm. it has become a true passion. And um, I really give you a lot of credit for kind of nudging me even further in that direction and encouraging me to step into it. And I'd say this, man, I love your, you know, first ever, first only, um, because to me that says obedience, do the thing, but you didn't need the thing. Yeah. Too many times we do the thing because we need the thing. We need the affirmation. We need that to know that we matter and therefore it matters. Um, but what if God's just asking to do that one time and then you could even submit to the process and submit to the people and um, I remember, Mark, I don't think I've ever shared this here on the podcast, the first Phoenix Philip that we did, our first stay forth experience about what's better than palm trees, beautiful weather while it's still snowing here. And let's just see. And we, my wife and I self-funded that bad boy and it was not cheap, but we said, if, if this idea is worth doing, then we need to have skin in the game and just see. And overwhelmingly, people were saying, I don't know another environment where I can have these slow conversations. And the best things were popping out, you know, four days later and they were going back and we were hearing about them inviting others into rest because they'd experienced it. We're literally watching leaders' brains and hearts being rewired. Mm -hmm. And as you know, you could have done that on Zoom, but there's just something about the ax throwing or the meal or the thing that was unleashed day two in the connection piece that was just better and next level. And, and so I can definitely identify with that. And I think if, if you're listening to this and you're afraid that it doesn't have the next six steps to this thing or the massive vision, um, don't think about that. Just do your next right thing and just yeah. see where it goes from there. I love that you submitted yourself to the process. The next thing, Mark, that I wanted to name as well is that for me, I just want to normalize what you are feeling, maybe disoriented. For me, when I am disoriented, I go to I don't know the vision in the next 16 steps and I'm fearful. And some of that is my Enneagram and wiring and there's, you know, sort of fear hidden underneath the surface. Nobody would guess about sevens and yet it's there. Um, But for everybody, it's generally not a great cocktail 
It's not like I knew to do it because God cleared all lines of favor. I've had a couple of those things, like a couple. Everything yeah. else was like, dang, this is fearful and I need some confirmation and affirmation. And so a lot of that is just having somebody to go, I've, I've seen something like this before. It seems God is doing this. Speak to a younger leader who is up against something and feeling some of those disoriented feelings. How can others come alongside of their journey? Not to direct necessarily, yeah. but to maybe affirm and confirm. Get really specific there. Yeah, I mean, for me, if I could go back in time and just and sit with my angsty self at so many critical moments of uncertainty or despair or confusion or or what's you know what's going to happen next i would just lovingly put an arm you know around my own <laughs> shoulders and just say mark relax stop trying to be god and control this process and just lean into all of the best things in my life i was coaching a leader this morning over the phone and i just said and this is you know how this is usually when we're coaching uh, we're just stating the obvious, you know, we're just kind of re repeating back what we heard. And, and the person's like, Oh, it's so profound. It's like, well, you said it. I just encapsulated it. The um, beauty of coaching. I love yeah, it. Yeah. It's really what it is. And so I said, Hey, your biggest problems right now are the answers to your biggest prayers over the past two years. So the only way you don't have these problems, if you didn't pray those prayers. So I think if you're if you're in maybe the beginning stages of something, or if you're feeling this combination of, I don't know what you described, the cocktail of, I don't know what happens next. I'm fearful. I'm uncertain. The path has not been clearly uh, highlighted. Just the next step is evident. I would say like breathe deep and jump and just do the next right thing. That is the story of my leadership. And the only difference between now and 15 years ago is now I'm much more comfortable with it. It did not. So if you're waiting, if you're like, well, I just have to endure the pain of not being certain while I'm in my 30s. But when I'm in my 40s or 50s, everything will be clear. It gets less clear. Hopefully you just get more mature and more comfortable with the process and more trusting in the one who's called you. So I think if you can, the uncertainty was inevitable. The angst was a choice. So God's not going to call us and remove the uncertainty. That's a part of the way he works. How angsty we get about it, how procrastinative we become about <laughs> doing the next right thing. Like all of that is the decision. Um, so just bypass that part of it and lean into whatever God's calling you to do next. And it should make you shudder a little bit. You should quake in your boots a little bit. You should like, it should keep you up at night a little bit. It should, you should go, yeah, this could go south. If it can't go south, it's probably not from God because the possibility of it going south is where you look back and go, I know that was God. So yeah, I think that's, that's my best advice. The angst is optional. That's good. And uh, wise counsel is beautiful thing over relying on people is a terrible thing because uh, we're comparing and I call comparison the great creativity killer. And I think, oh, here's this person's story. And I heard the result of that. So either mine needs to be huge or they failed. And meanwhile, not um, being curious about what God might do. And that's a practice we have in, in any of our coaching sessions, but just in general, let's be curious what might be happening here. I don't, I don't know, Mark, God didn't tell me, but what yeah. might be happening here? Uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson, I heard him inter interviewed and he said the opposite of stress is not calm. It's curiosity. 
Wow. And so if you could tell, you know, it's like when somebody's all uh, bent out of shape, you want to shake them and say, be calm, which never works. But instead we could just whisper to them, be curious. What do you think God's doing here? And it's been fun to be curious with you over a long period of time, or at least Mm -hmm. several months and pieces of the story. Friends, other people can see other pieces of the story. You feel just kind of open up and be authentic with them, uh, knowing that I didn't know all the history from your past. Uh, We didn't go to elementary school together, but I tell you, somebody that did, and you've known them for many years, can see different pieces of your story. Um, And I think just the isolation, we're not going to get there by ourselves. Talk a little about gifting, Mark. You have some obvious and pronounced gifts and strategy and clarity and being able to even see people's next steps before they can. Um, Talk about living deeply into your gifting and confidence in your gifting versus over-reliance on gifting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have, I believe that generally speaking, anyone who has some very clear, profound giftings needs to be aware that the only way to have clear, profound giftings is to be pretty substandard in a number of other areas. (laughs) And I think that's a healthy kind of place to live. Like I am very, I've become very clear. I know I've got two or three things I do extremely well which leaves about 40 or 50 things that the drop-off is substantial. Like, I mean, it's not like I do these two or three things really well. And then the others, you know, I'm competent. It's, you know, we had a moment even before this podcast where I was trying to figure out something on a technological level and my assistant had to come in and fix it. The simplest thing. I mean, the drop-off is significant. So I think you mentioned it earlier, the comparison piece can, can cause us to look away from our two or three giftings and toward 30 or 40 others that are represented in other parts of, of the body of Christ, represented in the rest of the human population, and become enamored with something we're never supposed to be good at mm. while neglecting, which, what's the cost of that? I mean, what's well, a stewardship thing? I'm, not, I'm never stewarding my gifts when I'm gazing at someone else's in a comparing way. So... I think that process of discovering our gifting is so important. And with it, we've, we've got to have this understanding. The likelihood that I'm going to be gifted in a dozen areas is pretty minimal. I mean, that is, that's just, I don't want to be a mark of all trades. Like I, I, now I like this. I used to resent it that I only had like two or three things I, I really was great at, but now I'm so grateful for it because it's such a great recipe for confident humility because I'm confident in the two or three areas I'm really gifted at, but I can have the humility to go, I've got these 30 or 40 others that I need an Allen. I need these members of my team. I need these people to come alongside me. That's why I came to you for coaching. You have gifting and insight and perspective that I don't have. And you sharpen my two or three areas I'm really good at by bringing yours that I don't have in my toolbox and bringing them to the process and leveraging that. So I think, yeah, this, this, you're, I'd go back to this again. You're going to get comfortable with your gifting eventually. Don't wait till you're 60. You might as well do it while you're Yeah. right now would be the best time to start. Just take yeah. a deep breath, stop comparing, get comfortable with your gifting, lean in where you're great and don't apologize for it. Um, stop looking at those 30 or 40 others. And, uh, yeah. It just goes wrong, you know? It's so good. And let's just name something that, Mark, when a leader realizes what they're gifted at and has ability to create and shape and shift teams around them and bring in the right people based on their weaknesses, it begins to appear like they're good at everything. Yeah. Because 
maybe you're being wise and in investing 80% of your time into that, the 20% of things or the 2% of things you're amazing at. And so I think if we could just name that, sometimes you look at somebody and go, oh, what Mark does, I could never do that. And you're actually kind of right because you're uniquely designed or gifted. And yet what Mark has done, you absolutely can do, which is to slowly bring the right people around you after self-awareness, recognition from other people, probably a lot of pain, a lot of coming to dead ends and go, I'm okay at this, or I'm terrible at this. Uh, and I just want to invite you listeners, this phrase we use a lot, pay attention to what you pay attention to. Like when you're in the zone and Mark, you know, that zone when you're helping other people and it's coming naturally to you and then the aha moment on them and we're communal. So the moment that you're seeing what what's actually bringing you joy and pleasure is actually bringing them clarity at the same time oh, to be used by God to do yeah. something that we love. I mean, what greater feeling is there than that? And yeah. sort of feeling his divine pleasure. And so I just, I think it's really helpful, Mark, to say you're still in it. You're still in the game. You're still loving your wife. You're still pushing against real obstacles. You're not living a pie in the sky world, far from it. And yet you're living and you're gifting in some pretty sweet ways. Um, man, there's so much there, but I'm just curious um, about your staff. Uh, give us, I don't know, three or four maybe keys to leading a staff, particularly some younger leaders coming onto your, um, onto your staff. What are some intentional ways that you develop your staff and pull that team around you? Yeah, so I think um, we have been really intentional, especially during the past two years during COVID, of making this like a great place to work and do ministry. And um, that's been you know, a difficult process, but I think has become so rewarding. I feel closer to my staff than I ever have. Uh, I always tell people I'm an airplane, not a helicopter. So I build long-term relationships. Um, people get can get frustrated because they think we're closer than we are because they're a helicopter. I'm an airplane. I'm like, no, we're still tech. Like we're about to take off. And, but if you'll stick with me, we'll get to 30,000 feet and you can unbuckle your seatbelt and you know, there'll be drinks and cookies served. So it's going to be good, but you just got to go in the process. And I think that that long-term in a season where in our culture, everybody's switching jobs and everybody's kind of like, everything's gotten turned upside down we have seen the fruit of going, not everybody's going to stay here for the long haul, but for those who have that intention, we're going to build for them. Um, we got really serious about uh, creating community, not, not uh, an artificial community, but creating environments where our staff could get closer to Jesus and closer to each other. We got really serious about our staff feeling like they have a contribution, a meaningful voice into where our organization is headed. That's what I think young leaders want. I think they may frame it as like this aggressive, I want a promotion or I want a position. And it may partly be that, but I think what they're really saying is I want to know that what I have to say matters and what I mm -hmm. see um, is relevant. And so we've created contribution for our staff. And then we got, you know, very practical thing. We got serious about compensation. Like we recognize when people go into ministry, they don't do it to get rich. But I heard somebody say on a bad day, you're going to go, um, ministry is hard, but if you also go and I can't afford groceries, I can only fix one of those two thoughts. Yep. Um, I can't fix the ministry is hard thought, but I sure can fix the, I can't afford groceries thought. So we really got intentional about making sure we were compensating people, um, appropriately. So those are some kind of practical things, but I will tell you this here's zooming out from all of that. 
I know authenticity was a big buzzword for years, and now we're all a little bit maybe appropriately kind of tired of it, which means maybe we can come back around to what it's actually supposed to mean. Because at the end of the day, that is my secret sauce. My staff, my team can overlook anything I don't do quite right, but they will not overlook a disingenuous heart. So every one of them out there, sometimes they think I'm awesome. Sometimes they're ticked off at me. Sometimes they think I nailed it. Sometimes they think I dropped the ball. But I think I can say by the grace of God, not a single one of them ever has reason to question my motivation. And they know at the end of the day, I want them to win. I want our church to win because of the Great Commission. And I want our region to be changed by Jesus. And I want them to live out their full potential. So I think that, you know, you take some of those practical pieces and then you take this real, the senior leader has got to have a pure motivation and you can't fake that. I know some nice leaders who aren't trusted because they're just nice. It doesn't go any deeper than that. I know some very direct leaders, myself probably included, who are pretty, you know, blunt but they're loved and respected and trusted because there's an understanding of where that comes from. So I think anytime we're using mechanisms to compensate for a lack of authenticity, we're in trouble. The authenticity has got to lead and then we should work on our mechanisms. So I don't know if that's, that's kind of what you're, you're asking about, but I feel like that for us has really created a strong, stable culture. That's um, great. Yeah. Mark, I mean, a wealth of these kind of things, if you're listening to this and you're a lead pastor, and you're going, man, I need to learn from Mark. Uh, I would agree. You could uh, apply to to learn from Mark. And you mentioned a round table. Uh, what would it look like? What's the right kind of, you know, maybe lead pastor? Uh, and then um, how could somebody apply to grab some of that strategy and some of that experience that you host for a round table? Yeah, best way, honestly, just shoot me an email and tell me a little bit about your story. I'm a big, especially at this point, as it's starting to kind of um, gain some momentum, I just... I want to know there's a true value add. So so stories resonate with me. Here's where we are. Here's where I'm stuck. Here's why I think this would add value. Um, And you can email me at markjohnston at yourjourney.tv. And uh, just share a little bit of your story and and let me know what you're looking for. And if I feel like I can add value, I will. And if I don't, I'll point you in a different direction. That's my promise. But um, for me right now, that's the piece. I want to be in relationship with people that I know those two or three things that I'm gifted at, clarity, strategy, structuring your organization for maximum growth and potential, those two or three things I'm gifted at, I want to know there's an alignment there and that I can really help. And then it excites me um, to know that I might be able to come along sub- somebody and help them with that. Beautiful. If you uh, didn't catch that email, go ahead and email us at hello at stay forth. We'll connect you to Mark and uh, Mark loves pastors. And I think there's just a common love from the trenches to understand I've had trench foot a few times and here's the challenge with it. And here's how to recover, uh, in, in the process, Mark, perhaps the most scary question that I've ever asked you, I'm going to paint the scenario. So you are in an alley and Dwayne, the rock Johnson walks down this alley and uh-huh. he's, he's angry. Yeah. Um, you need to defeat him. That is the only way out of this alley. How are you, my friend going to defeat the behemoth, the Sasquatch of a dude that is Dwayne, the rock Johnson. I'm going to feign insanity. So I'm going to take a cue from David for sure. I'm going to, I'm just going to lose my ever loving mind. 
Um, I am five foot eight, 157 pounds. So that's not brag. Let's not brag here. No, I don't want, I'm sorry. I apologize. Been very humble throughout, but now I just got carried away. But that is really the only the only option I have. Just feign complete. I mean, I'm assuming I'm alone. If you're with me, I'm good. No. But if I'm alone, completely alone. Insanity. Yeah. Gotta feign wow. insanity. Beautiful. Yeah. Friends, this strategy right there. You can see it down to the last question. Mark, it's been a joy uh, to be curious about your life together. Have you come on here? Uh, and you are a resource, not just to your church and a guide and a light post, but to so many other leaders. Really fun to watch you in the season of disorientation to be reoriented toward really raising up um, not just the next generation of pastors, but helping current pastors to clarify in a really challenging season. Man, grateful for your friendship and your partnership in the gospel. Keep it up. Thank you so much, Alan. Love you much. It's been great. We focus so much.